Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to equip and encourage leaders just like you who are invested in the faith and the future of the next generation. My name is Trey McKnight, and I'm one of your hosts for this season of the podcast, where we will go and interview many of our speakers from Orange Conference 2022. We're gonna talk about what it means to be human. We're gonna talk about how churches can better care for the humans in their community. And we're also gonna offer some resources that can help all of that. Now today, I'm really excited for you to hear from my friend Dave Adamson about his new book, MetaChurch, where you can receive some tools on how churches and people just like you can develop uh, strategies for digital discipleship. Now you may know Dave as one of the hosts of this podcast, but he's also the Orange Director for Australia and New Zealand. Zealand. He's an author, he's a speaker, and he's a social media expert helping churches get the most out of social media and YouTube so that they can help more people and help change more lives. I'm really excited for you to hear everything that we're going to talk about today. So here we go. We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents, and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. So start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. Welcome. My name is Trey McKnight. I'm sitting looking across the computer at the one and only Aussie Dave, (laughs) a.k.a. Dave Addison, a.k.a. Digital Church Extraordinaire, a.k.a. I don't know. What other AKAs can we give you? That's a lot. Of, some people just call me Aussie. Some people Aussie? just call me Oz. But when, since we moved back to Australia, nobody calls me that anymore, Trey. Really? They all just call really? me Dave here. I wonder I'm, why. Yeah, here I'm just Dave. And it's not. It's just a little <laughs> bit boring. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, <laughs> I do have to ask you. I do need to ask you because I've had this question and I've wanted to ask my Aussie friends. Is there specificity between whether it's Aussie or Aussie? Okay. First of all, specificity. Great word, well pronounced. And especially at 6 a.m. my time, which is what when we're recording this, I'm super impressed. I know it's not your time, but I'm just impressed that you oh, said it. Oh, it is way late in the day here. <laughs> so here's the deal, Trey. It's it's pronounced Aussie with okay. with Z's, but it's spelled Aussie with S's. But only really Americans are the only ones that call me Aussie. And you always, you always call me Aussie. And I'm okay with it. Seriously okay with it. You call me whatever you need to call me. I just right. want you to call me. That's that's where uh, hey, I am with it. Hey, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have wondered that Aussie because I've always said Aussie, and I. But I now that I know that it's Aussie, I will I will adjust that. So, oh. AKA Aussie Dave, welcome to the show. <laughs> You're no stranger to this show. You're no stranger to this audience, and this audience is no stranger to you. Um, are you doing well? I'm doing really well, man. Really great. Uh, everything here is is fantastic. I'm getting to connect with church leaders in Australia and New Zealand and, and discuss with them all the benefits of like what we can do to help them rethink uh, their church strategy through Orange. And, you know, one of the things that's really taking off here, and I know this is not what we're talking about, Trey, but one of the things that's really taking off here is Parent Q. 
churches yeah. in Australia are just loving the fact that they can uh, have their people download, you know, have their community download the Parent Q app, and then they can, you know, brand it for the church. And essentially, it feels to them, to to the parents in the local community, that the church is sending them out cues on how to be better parents every week, as well as sending them notifications about what their church, what their kids are doing in kids' church and in student ministry and stuff like that. So, yeah, man, it, it's been fantastic. I, I love being able to work with uh, church leaders here for sure. Man, that's great. It's really cool to hear that. I mean, I, you know, obviously we both work for Orange and I, I can, uh, Orange, as you say, Orange yeah. here, in, here in the States. Uh, <laughs> and I can say that I use the ParentQ app myself. Um, so yeah, it's really same. cool that, you know, I, I, there have been times I've literally been in the middle of bathing one of my children or something like that. And a little notification pops up and like, you know, here are five signs that your child is lonely. I'm like, oh, I should probably read this. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, so good, right? Uh, that I, app is a really cool app. Yeah, I've always used it for the cue to have conversations. Hey, ask your daughter this today. Yeah. Uh, uh, this yep. is the stage that that Chelsea's at in her development, like those sorts of things. I've all, I've used it literally for years, but then to move it over into this church branding uh, capacity, like that has been a game changer for a lot of churches here. Yeah, that's really, really good, especially yeah. as the church is changing. And I'm, I'm sure that there are, I mean, we know that, you know, there are so many churches that are looking for ways to better reach and serve uh, yeah. people in their community. So, well, sure. Um, I love that. I love that. Well, I, as you said, we're not here to talk about that. We, we have something really, really cool. Uh, Parent Q is really cool, but this is something even, even cooler specifically for you uh, for us to talk about today. Normally you're on this show and you are the interviewer, uh, yeah. but today I get to interview you because you, sir, have a book that is out now. I do. Yeah, I have a book How about that? that's been birthed into the world. And yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I I can only imagine. I've not written a book myself, but uh you've written several. Uh I've, yeah. I've I've seen your books and so this is the latest release called Meta Church. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Called Meta Church. I love that. Okay, so we're going to just jump right in here because I'm sure that there are probably questions and you probably did this on purpose. You know, you're you're a marketer at, at heart. Uh, so <laughs> So, so you, you look at the two words, meta church, I, I know about the metaverse, right? And I know yep. about the mega church, yep. um, but tell me what is a meta church? Yeah. Um, okay. So look, first of all, full disclosure, this is a word that uh, I've been kicking around for a while and it's a made up word. And again, full disclosure, it came out before uh, Mark Zuckerberg decided to change Facebook to become <laughs> meta. I was Good using this for a couple. Yes, I was using this for a couple of years before that. But for me, you know, um, the, the reason that I was kicking this word around is because a lot of people were talking about this idea of hybrid church and what hybrid church is, this, this uh, blend of online uh, and online. And, and I know, Trey, from our time at North Point together, you know that I've been kicking around this idea of an omni-channel church, which is the same sort of thing. It's just a, a church with multiple channels that are working in cohesion with each other and are strategically aligned so that they interact. Um, so that's what separates it from a multi-channel versus an omni-channel. Um, and that, that's when I started thinking about this idea of meta church. And see, the idea behind it is that this word meta is a prefix. It's a prefix we use on a whole bunch of 
uh, different words that mean a whole bunch of different things. So the prefix meta can mean to change or to transform as in the word metamorphosis, metamorphosis um, yep. but it can also mean to go beyond as in the word uh, metaphysical, right? So yep. meta is just a prefix that we use to talk about something that is changing or about something that's going beyond what it's originally designed to be or beyond its capacity. And so when I use this word, as a prefix ahead of the word church, what I'm really talking about is a church that's changing its model in order to go beyond just a Sunday service, in order to go beyond just a church building and into the into the community, into the lives of the people they're trying to serve so that they can connect with them, you know, for the other 167 hours of the week outside of that one hour on Sunday. So really, Meta Church is a church that's changing and transforming its model in order to go beyond so that they can reach more people and change more lives. Yeah, I love that. That's a that's a great description um, and very easy to understand. What it sounds like to me, and I'm 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 kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit because yeah. I, I know this isn't the direction you're going. But what it sounds like to me is, oh, okay. Well, that so that's just outreach, right? Well, yes, it is outreach. I mean, outreach is certainly a part of it. But, you know, I, I think what happens too often in, in a lot of the churches that I, I get to partner alongside and get to work with is we give like online tools, like either streaming our services or, uh, you know, social media posts. We give this, we, we give it all one purpose and that purpose is to promote something and we call that outreach. But really what I'm talking about is a system and a strategy where gotcha. online and offline are working together in cohesion and, and so that that, you know, somebody can access one piece of content on, on a Wednesday just before they go to their physical small group and then come to church the next week and hear more about that same topic while they're sitting in the building or somebody else can do exactly the same thing, but they can access that content through YouTube or a podcast or a social media post or something like that. So the way that I see it, uh, the way that it's maybe a little bit different to just simply outreach is, you know, you know, this idea of mega churches, right, has been around for a long time. Trey, you and I both worked at a mega church. And, and please let me state this up front. I am not against mega churches. I love the, the the opportunities that present themselves in for churches to reach into the local community when they get larger in size and get larger in resources. Um, but I would say that a mega church is like one expression of church with a large community, while a meta church is multiple expressions of church with one mission. So the idea behind that is people can access the church uh, in person, they can access it online in a house church, virtual reality, YouTube, podcast, social media, right? But then they can express uh, their faith into the local community, whether that's in a church building, whether that's in a small group, a home Bible study, a podcast, uh, or just serving in their local community, but they still constitute one congregation. People might access content a little bit differently in the church, but they still are in community get together, forging ahead to serve one specific mission. That's what it is. It just moves church outside of just being around a church building. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it, it's, there is a, a, an advantage to leveraging. And obviously you spent a lot of time in digital church. I remember yeah. sitting with you at North Point years ago yeah. uh, as we had done North Point online. And, uh, you know, you kind of took it to the next level where it wasn't just us standing on a screen and welcoming everybody and saying, hey, we're so glad you're here. You know, we're here for you, your friends, your family, and yeah. to connect you to the local church. You know, all those things we used to say. Yeah. Uh, but I remember sitting with you in rooms behind the scenes 
where you're now connecting with people on Twitter and, yeah. and on Facebook and um, really kind of uh, making that those engagement, taking those engagement steps yeah. with people. So it was really leveraging the digital space. Exactly. Um, for, for any churches out there uh, that may still kind of be in this, this realm of, you know, well, why, why do I need to have a digital strategy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you say to them? I, I assume there are still churches that feel that way. Yeah, there are for sure. And, and you know, that's okay. Um, yeah. I, you know, that's totally okay. I, I think from my perspective, uh, the reason why it's so important for churches to have a digital strategy around things, it, it, the, I mean, the, the simplest answer is that people are spending more time than ever online. That's the reality of the world that we live in right now, uh, more than ever. And you know this, you, you know that I've got uh, teenage daughters, and I know that they've grown up in a world where they didn't know anything but smartphones, for example. And so they've made major life decisions and major life discoveries online. You've got younger kids, and I'm sure they're already on iPads. I'm sure that they're already leveraging technology in some way. And so for me, uh, the reason that churches should be thinking through the idea of developing a digital strategy is that simply in a world of like smartphones and smartwatches and smart homes and smart cars and smart TVs, we need smart leaders who can challenge these traditionally held norms and are willing to get uncomfortable in order to reach more people. You know, Jesus told us that we have to go into all the world and in the modern world, the world includes online, it includes social media, it includes YouTube, it includes podcasts. Um, and then the other part of it for me, Trey, is that I, what I look at and what I see in churches that I visit or, or my own church that I attend uh, and participate with here in Australia is that every single day, people are carrying with them in their pocket a pulpit, a worship team, a small group, and an offering plate. They carry it every day in the form of this little device that we all have in our jobs. Yeah, <laughs> we have that in our pocket every single day. And if a church can leverage that to do more than just invite people to events, but, but to invite them into life-changing conversations, then we have the opportunity to take advantage of this little device and, and really connect with people in a brand new way. And we can turn this, this is the interesting thing. If we have a strategy, we can turn this from a, like a device that is a distraction into a tool for discipleship discipleship. That's what I, that's why I think having an online strategy, a digital strategy is so important. Dave, I've said that for years, uh, as you know, as you know, I've, I've worked with students for a long time and, uh, specifically high schoolers. And, you know, of course being in, in any kind of high school ministry, you're going to hear every, uh, every different opinion on the spectrum from, you know, social media is, you know, it, it is what it is, whatever to all the way to the extremes of social media is evil and nobody yeah. needs to be a part of it. And nobody yeah. needs to, you know, because the teenagers, it's ruining their lives and all that. And yeah, I said yeah. for years, uh, social media, yes, can be something that can be used for bad, Yeah, but it also is a tool. And yeah. I would put, you know, our, our smartphones and, and, you know, digital and all that in the same category. These are things that can be used for, for good if yeah. we leverage them in the right yeah. way. Uh, and kind of to your point, I, you didn't use this word, but I think that um, it kind of lends toward discipleship is something that we can we can leverage social media uh, in the form of totally. discipleship. I don't yeah. know that that's the way we normally see people using social media, though. I mean, I, do you see that kind of that? Oh, uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what we, we, we use social media as a promotional tool, right? Yeah. Rather than leveraging it as a discipleship tool. And I, and I know that when when I think when I use 
that phrase, social media as a discipleship tool, I, I get that there's potentially some pushback around that because yeah. we have this definition of what discipleship is supposed to be. But I think the reality is people are increasingly using digital tools like social media or like YouTube um, podcast to build spiritual foundations. I mean, that's yeah. the reality. I mean, our devices, you know, this trade from working with kids, but you also know it for yourself, right? Because it's not just teens and students who are leveraging online technology. It's all of us in some way, but mobile devices have become this natural extension of our lives and they've become this really essential extension of our spiritual lives. In fact, in March 2020, Barna Research came out with this report that indicated, uh, sorry, that talked about the impact that technology has had on faith formation. And they found that 38% of Christians use social media to grow their faith. Now, it's funny when I, when I, when I usually quote that stat to people, uh, especially church leaders, there's usually this pushback because people don't like the idea of 38% of Christians using social media as a tool to grow their faith. But it's interesting to me that that is the exact same number of Christians who say they read Christian books on faith-based topics in order to grow their faith. Wow. And church leaders aren't calling for, you know, I don't hear church leaders say, oh, I wish people would stop reading Tim Keller books or Craig Bruce books. books or, <laughs> you know, you've got to read less Mark Batterson books. But we right. do say, you know, we need to not be on technology as much, but it can be this tool. But that's why we need to stop using social media as a megaphone to broadcast our content, but instead start using it as a telephone in order to build community. I mean, that's what we need to start doing. And church leaders need to, you know, stop using it to promote events and start using it to promote conversations that are, and make authentic connections. So, you know, let me be, let, I, I want to be super, super clear on this, right? Using social media as a discipleship tool is about integrating online and offline. It's not about keeping it all online. In fact, I've never met a That's church a pastor in all my years. I've never met a church online pastor who thinks that online should or could replace offline. That's not what I'm saying as, at all. I'm just saying that uh, using online tools gives us the ability to connect with people more often, and it gives us an ability to scale our discipleship strategy within the church. I mean, the alternative is, I, I think, you know, if, if the discipleship capacity of a church is limited to the seating capacity of a building, then we're kind of doing something a little bit wrong, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I think church leaders need to recognize that while leveraging online tools like social media may not be our first choice, it's often the best choice for the people we're trying to reach in the modern world. Yeah. Do you think that Jesus would use social media had it been present when he was, when he was <laughs> walking with his disciples? Um, you know, Trey, I get asked this question quite a bit. Usually it's- Do you really? Oh yeah, 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 man. <laughs> it's usually either Jesus, uh, would Jesus have social media or would Paul have social media? Right. Like, first of all, with the Jesus thing, Jesus was a master communicator, right? He knew that at sometimes he needed to speak uh, in a synagogue. At other times he needed to speak on the side of a hill. Other times he needed to speak in the desert. Other times he needed to speak while floating on a boat in order for people to hear his voice. Like, think about that. 
that, right? Um, he, he, he had all this audience sitting on the side of a hill right at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so he asked the disciples to push him out on the boat just a little bit yeah. in order for his voice to carry. So in the modern world, if we want our voice to carry, especially to reach the local community, and this is a really key part of this, I think we need to leverage online tools. And, and I outline this in the book. We need to leverage online tools in order to reach the local community where we are more than anything else. So to, to answer your question, would Jesus? Yeah, I think Jesus would leverage social media to extend it one step further. Because the other one I get asked is, would Paul use it? Yeah, Paul would have definitely used it. Paul used the technology of his day to reach people who were far away from him physically. This the technology of his day was letter writing. So I think Paul would totally do it. In fact, if Paul had, had this mindset that the only way to, to disciple someone and help them take the next steps in their faith journey was for them to be physically in the room with him, then at least 13 books of the Bible would of the New Testament wouldn't have been written. That's Paul understood that in order to scale his ability to teach more people, he had to leverage technology. Again, the technology of his day was letter writing. So yeah, I totally think Jesus and, and Paul would have Twitter feeds and Instagram accounts. That's a really cool perspective. Uh, and in a minute, I'll ask you, what do you think that their, their Twitter and Instagram <laughs> handles would be? Uh, <laughs> That's a really cool perspective because I think you, you highlighted something there just a second ago, or you mentioned something that, that brought something to mind for me. And it's this idea of leveraging the social media, the digital tools that you have to further and more deeply reach the people who are in your community. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that sometimes maybe because we see so many influencers, you know, these mega influencers, these micro and, you know, influencers and all the different people, that, yeah. you know, it's, well, how many followers do you have? 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, you know, and you break surpass certain barriers. And, you know, you've got these mega influencers that have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, you know, who have these huge platforms. And I think that, yeah. that you know, somebody like myself uh, or, you know, somebody else who would look and say, well, I've got a couple hundred or I've got 20 uh, who might say, I, yeah, but that's just not super effective. You know, yeah. like I'm not, I'm not reaching people like, you know, blank person, like the rock, you know, somebody <laughs> who's, who's got this global reach. And yeah. so should I really put any kind of effort behind social media? But yeah. I think that, that, uh, you know, I like to say a lot uh, in some of the circles that I, that I work with and that you and I work with is that you have influence right where you are, mm. regardless of the size of the group around you. Um, you have influence from from the person who does have the mega global platform all the way down to yeah. people like you and me who have a family at home. You have yeah. influence right there where you are. And so your job is to leverage your influence as a leader, as you coach those people and disciple those people to something greater yeah. in a life with Jesus. I um, could not agree more, dude. Could not agree more. I think, you know, because we live in a, a world in which it's like this content economy, right? Yeah. Um, where the people who are putting out the, the viral content, the people who are putting out the content that gets the most likes and views, we, yeah. we assume that that equals success. Right. Um, but, you know, in the church world, we can leverage those same tools, but with a different purpose to flip that on its head. And, and again, this is really what the book is about, is, is helping flip the purpose of those channels and, and that content economy that we're living in at the moment in order to make it make sure that everything we post online, every 
every podcast we we put out, every, you know, churches are content creation machines, right? We put out so much content, but making sure that that content has purpose in every capacity that it is. You know, you look at the average size of a church in America and it's around the 200 mark, like most churches are 200 or less. Yet we think, oh, I've only got 200 followers. I can't make a difference. No, I would argue, I would argue you are- yeah, you are you, you trade with your audience size on Instagram. That's like a, a a a number of people who you have influence over, who you can connect with on a regular basis. If you're creating content that has purpose and that speaks directly to them, I I look at my Instagram feed, for example, and I say I'm just leading because every post I do on Instagram it has a purpose behind it. I'm leading a church on Instagram, and you know I joke with my wife all the time because. You know, you look at Instagram from a from a channel perspective, it's mostly women. If you look at my demographics, it's like 70% women, 30% men who follow me on Instagram. So I tell my wife all the time, I'm just reading leading a really large women's ministry. And I'm okay, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Because we have that influence and we need to not leverage that. I don't want to leverage that just to promote an event or something along those lines. I really want to promote these spiritual conversations that help people take the next step in their faith journey. And that's, <laughs> I'm just, what you just said is hitting me. Uh, just that picture. I can't get over that picture of the size of most churches mm. uh, are 200 or less, Yeah. but then people complain about a following of 200 or less, but that <laughs> is a group of people. And, and when you think about it, I'm, I'm bringing this back around to the intentionality with which you use that tool. Yeah. Because I think you're, you're one of, and this is not just to blow smoke at you, but like, I feel like you're one of the most intentional people when it comes to how you leverage your social media. Um, it, it, it is it, indeed that there's always purpose there. There's always something you, I'm, I'm either learning something or I'm entertained or, you know, I'm drawn in by something. Uh, yeah. It challenges me to do something or think differently about something. And so there is this purpose that's there. You do that with your social media in the yeah. same way that somebody, a pastor at a church would do that. Exactly. If you can imagine somebody having a church in which they've got 200 people that are showing up and every week they're just, you know, oh, hey, we're here and we're promoting whatever uh, and not intentional about it. Um, We should treat our social media in the same way that if we were standing in in a pulpit or on a a platform. I could not agree more, Trey. I could not agree more. And this is why I think it's so important that we ascribe purpose to everything that we put out on social media. There has to be a reason behind why we do that. Or, and it's not just on social media, we have to ascribe purpose to uh, like the live stream of our Sunday services as well. You know, I, I think there's a mentality that we got into in the church world where during COVID, because everybody started to stream services because we, we we had to, which was great. But I think there's this mentality that, well, I'm streaming my services now, so I'm innovative. But I actually think, I actually think the most innovative thing some churches could do is to stop streaming their services and instead find new ways that they can connect with their local community in a way that their local community needs them. This is this was a big philosophical shift for me, Trey, to be honest. I got into online ministry in 2008, right? It was a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, and back then, I remember as, as, you know, one of the first online pastors in the world, I would look at our analytics and go, oh my gosh, we went to 70 different countries and we had five people watching from Iraq. And, and th- those were the stories that I was sharing. Those were the, the highlights of the reports that I would give to my leadership at the church. But slowly over a number of years, my philosophy started to, to shift and started to change. And I think there are some churches who and some uh, 
especially communicators who have the capacity to reach uh, a global audience. But I think the best way that most churches can leverage their online technology, whether it's live streams, podcasts, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is, is to reach the local community where God has called them to serve to connect with the people who are in the context within which God has placed them. Too often in church world, you know, the world the, the, the world outside of church tells us that when it comes to social media and online, content is king. But I think in the church world, I really believe this, context is king. And that's a big shift because content makes a post, but context makes a difference. And our job as pastors Ooh. is really to make a difference in the community that God has called us to serve. Content makes a post, but context makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. Aussie Dave Adamson. <laughs> <laughs> I hope is that's that helpful. quote in the book because it should be. If that it's quote, not. that quote is in the book. Yes. Good. I, good. I hope that, it's helpful. That, man, that you're dropping bombs over here. You speak of this thing called the zero moment of truth. Yeah. 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 What is it, and why is that important? Okay. Zero moment of truth is really about what I just said. It's about context. Um, the zero moment of truth is this marketing term that Google made up, right? Um, and basically what it implies is that there's a zero moment when people are uh, looking for a product online. It's really a marketing term and, and they're looking for a product online. So here's how it might play out. Say, Trey, you know, I'm a photographer, right? So, yep. and I, this is a real thing because I do this all the time. I will type into Google, I'll open my search bar and, and I will open up my Google or, you know, whatever you want to use. I don't, Safari, um, checks notes, Bing is a thing as well. Um, you know, whatever it is, whatever search engine you want to open up and I will type in what is the best camera to buy in 2022, right? That is what Google would call my zero moment of truth. I want to know what the best camera is because I'm probably in the market for buying a brand new camera, right? I so literally in, have done that within the past three weeks. Exactly. See, we all do this sort of thing. Just we do it around different things. But here's the thing. If I type in what's the best camera to buy in 2022, companies like Fuji, Canon, Sony, Nikon, like these companies pay hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to make sure that they show up on the first uh, on the first page of the search engine results page. It's called the SERP, S-E-R-P, search engine result page. They pay thousands of dollars in advertising to make sure they show up on that first search engine results page. And then they pay even more to make sure they land in the top, you know, five results possible right. there. That's what Google calls the zero moment of truth. When somebody's looking for a product, um, that first step is for them to type it into Google. And then we want to get money from companies to, to make sure they're in that search engine result page, right? But this is, a, this is an important idea to understand because in, in, in church world, for us as church leaders, for us as pastors, for the people who are listening to or watching this podcast episode um, and, and they're trying to serve their local community, for us, our zero moment of truth is not when somebody's looking to buy a product. Our zero moment of truth is when somebody goes to YouTube or to Google and types into the search bar, how do I fix my marriage? How do I be a better parent? How do I overcome my addiction? How do I stop looking at porn? How do I find hope? How do I deal with my anxiety? These are the things that people are literally typing into search bars right now all around the world. That's our zero moment of truth for anybody who's in ministry, because these moments, they're not happening inside church buildings anymore. They're happening 
online. So the, uh-huh. the question that I ask in the book, you know, I unpack that in the book and in a little bit more detail and, and talk, provide systems and strategies for how church leaders can be there in those moments when people are typing those things. But it, it all starts with me asking church leaders this question. When, when somebody in your local community, whatever community you serve in, when somebody goes in your local community, types into the Google search bar, how do I find hope? Does your content show up? Does content from your church show up as the answer to that question? Wow. To the answer to whatever it is that they're searching for. This is why, you know, if somebody's typing in, how do I find hope? And they live in Forsyth County and your church is in Forsyth County, does your church's content pop up as the answer? We can leverage online tools to make sure that our answers do show up when people are asking those key questions. And this is why I say that context is is king, dude, right? Because it's the context within which we serve that is the most important thing. And if I'm creating content as a church leader that answers the question that somebody has around hope, anxiety, addiction, parenting, whatever it is, whatever that human need is that they have, then that's when I can really make a difference. Okay. So what do you say to the person, the church leader, the pastor who who may say, but yeah, but you're telling me that, that it requires, you know, tons of dollars, uh, you know, dollars with lots of zeros to become yeah. that, that front runner. So how, how do you get around that? Because last time I checked, most churches aren't rolling in the dough, you know? Dude, great question. That is a great follow-up question. Okay. So for us, because we're not in the, we're not selling a product, we don't have that competition that a Sony, Fuji, Canon, Nikon have, right? We don't have that level of competition, which is part of the reason why they pay so much money. And because there's a transactional process going on, which is why they have to spend that much money. All we need to do in order to to answer the questions that are being asked right now in the community, in the town, in the city that God has called you to serve in, is we just need to be creating that content that specifically answers those questions that people are asking. This is where knowing what those questions are is the first step. It doesn't require money. You can find this out for free. Just go to Google and start typing in, for example. You could just start typing into a search bar. uh, How do I read the by... You get to the BIB part and it will auto-correct, like auto-suggest everything. Google will start auto-suggesting things, right? And that auto-suggestion is based on a couple of things, not, not the least of which is that it's based on what people are searching in your local geographic area because Google knows where you are. In your local geographic area, what is the most asked question with that starts with that um, key phrase on the front end? And that will suggest to you, here are all the top questions around that. So imagine if you wrote, um, the Bible is, what happens is Google uh, preloads this auto auto suggests all of these options huh. that are being generated by the people who live in your community. And so if you start creating content around that, that are asking those questions that everybody else is asking, that's when you start to end up on the first page of that search engine result page. It's not about spending money. It's just about being intentional. It's not about having huge resources or a huge staff. It's just yeah. about being intentional. And here's the thing, Trey, I think every church pastor, every Every pastor, whether they're the adult pastor, the kids pastor, the students pastor, they're creating this content anyway. They're already creating it. All I'm suggesting is repurpose that content on purpose and put it out online, repurposed on purpose in order to make sure that it's answering those questions. 
Yeah, I, that's really interesting. I don't, I've obviously, you know, I've used Google a couple of times in my life and uh, so <laughs> I'm familiar with uh, the fact that it will bring up auto suggestions. I don't think that I knew that it would, it would tag it to your location though. I, I that's, that's new. Yeah. There are two key parts that determine what it auto suggests, right? Yeah. Part of it is what your previous search history is. Sure. Um, yep. So it, for me, for example, if, if. So would that explain why every time I type in like, who is the, it pulls up Aussie Dave, like it pulls up Dave Adamson. Well, because well, maybe because yes, I search you a, all the time. That's a weird example that you're, you're googling <laughs> me. But yes, that's essentially it. If I type in what is the best, because Google knows from my search history that I'm always looking up camera equipment, it will say what is the best camera to buy in 2022. What is the best? camera accessory. You know, these are the things that it will throw up for me, but it's also pulling in what are the other searches that are popular. So it might say for me where I live, it might say what is the what is the best camera in 2022, camera accessory, best beach in your area. Um, what is the temperature in Brisbane? Yeah. Like this is what it's going to yeah. say for me because it picks up my geographic location as well. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is brand new to me. That's a good thing to know right there. Yeah, That's it really sure cool. is. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if we're trying um, to be intentional about the content that we're putting out, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and then, you know, I've seen, as you said, it's, it's all about the context, yeah. uh, you know, context. and that's interesting that you say that it doesn't, it doesn't cost you money, but it does cost you an investment. You yes. Be willing yes. to go and search and to dig in and to, to face. So that, that would be the cost, I think, which to me yeah. is, is not a lot of cost. I mean, it's, you know, the, the closer you can get to understanding the context of the people around you the more effective it's going to make you as a leader in your community, totally. as an influencer. Community. Totally. That's really good. Why is this book, Meta Church, uh, important for the church and for the world now? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Uh, you know, because let's be honest, there's been a lot of books written in, in just the regular world about, um, you know, social media, YouTube hacks and tips and, 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 you know, how to get more engagement and more reach and things like that. And, and there's also been a lot of books written by some, some really smart people, a lot of whom are friends of yours and mine, uh, about how church leaders can develop a digital ministry in their church. But I guess there's really two main uh, reasons I wanted to write this book. The first one is, you know, post-COVID, um, that COVID season and everybody having to shift and everybody having to move all of their services online. And that was a huge adjustment for a lot of people. And so there's, there's one thing that I think everybody learned and one thing that I learned. The thing that everybody learned is that digital ministry is complicated. The thing that I learned is digital ministry is also exhausting, right? Um, thanks to COVID, um, every church has to stream their services on social media. And so I really wanted to provide, the first reason I wrote this book was because I really wanted to provide church leaders with a practical guide to help them integrate uh, online into on-site, how to integrate digital into physical in a way that's not complicated, in a way that has purpose, and in a way that really any church of any denomination in any location in the world can really apply. So I wanted it to be super, super practical. The second reason I think it's important now is because, you know, according to research done, the, the COVID and the COVID lockdowns uh, increased online searches around topics of faith. Over the past two years, all the research tells us that there are more searches than ever before on the topic of faith. I mean, research just in Australia alone by this company called McCrindle, which is, is essentially the banner of Australia, right? They did this uh, research that showed that one in three Aussies, that's 33% or one in three Aussies, depending on, on how you say it, admitted that um, they're more likely to engage in spiritual conversations in 2022. 
one in three are more likely to engage in spiritual conversations. They also found that two in five, which is 41%, are thinking more about God than they've ever thought before. 53% of Australians are thinking more about their own mortality, and 55% admit that they're asking questions about what the meaning of life is. I mean, more people than ever are going online to search for answers to questions that impact their their eternity, impact their faith, impact where they find hope from. And so this is why I think it's so important for us now to start to integrate that physical and the digital together. Because the reality, Trey, is people aren't going online to look for a local church anymore. They're going online to search for answers. That's really what the zero moment of truth is about. That's really what the context is king is about. And and that's why in this book, I wanted to really just outline some clear, practical, easy to do steps that any church leader, any pastor can take in order to reach the people in their community who are asking these sorts of questions. Yep, and just as we are all called to go and make disciples, mm. uh, the best way for us to do that is to leverage the tools that we have exactly. right there in our hands that are ready-made that everybody's already using Yeah, uh, to go and to reach them where they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, wow. If I'm, if I'm sitting uh, as a leader in a church, uh, ministry leader, pastor, uh, whatever seat I sit in, what's something that I can do today uh, to, to really begin to connect with people? Yeah, really good. Uh, really good question. Um, there are things that you can do today that will ch- that can have a dramatic difference. The first thing, obviously, I think is to change your mindset around why and how you leverage online technology. As I said, you know, I, I think now more than ever, the church needs innovation. As church leaders, we need to be innovating more than ever. And, and, and not because there's COVID in the world, but because there's indifference in the world. That's why we need to be innovative right now. And part of the best way to do that, I think the easiest way to be innovative is what we've already talked about, Trey. I'm working at the moment with um, a company called Alpha Australia. Everybody's probably heard of Alpha. It's the it's the course that's been set up yeah. by a guy yeah. named Nikki Gumble to help people take the first steps in their faith journey, right? Yep. I'm working with Alpha Australia at the moment, um, helping them with their uh, digital strategy. And one of the things I talked to them about was Alpha's logo is a question mark, right? Um, and I said, your logo is a question mark. And people are going online, not searching for local churches or classes on how to take the next step in their their faith journey. They're going online to ask questions about faith. They're going online to ask questions about their eternity and the meaning of life and all of these sorts of things. So why doesn't Alpha as an organization find out what the top 100 faith questions are in Australia and then create content that answers those questions? And so, you know, you ask, what is the thing that people can do today? I would say... Spend two minutes, just open up a Google document and start typing in a question around the Bible, faith, God, Jesus, church, anything. Just start typing that question out and find out what Google auto suggests the most relevant questions in your local area. And then write that question down and then start asking another question, write that question down and start looking up the content that is showing up in your local community around those questions. So if somebody's asking the question, how do I pray, for example, right? Yep. If that's what the question that is is one of the top questions in your area, how do I pray? Hit return on that and just see if your church comes up in the search engine result page. 
I'm so confident that currently it doesn't because we've just not been coached or trained or told how to do this, that I'm willing to give away 50 bucks to any church that can prove to me that when they type in, how do, how do I pray that their church content shows up wow. on the first page of the search engine results page? Because what okay. typically shows up is a whole bunch of external videos done by parachurch ministries, which is not a bad yeah. thing or, or ministries, or it's people who are anti-church that will have answers around church, uh, prayer is irrelevant, prayer doesn't work, all of these other things. That's what typically shows up. This is why the church needs to be in this area. But if people in your local community are asking that question, how do I pray? Then you need to be creating content that answers that question. And it doesn't have to be a 37 minute message. It can just be a two minute video. This is what I'm doing with Alpha at the moment. Literally we're pulling in pastors and faith leaders and, and, and any, anybody who's a notable Christian to answer these questions in short two minute videos. Like the longest one we've posted so far, I think was a minute 58. Um, and the idea behind that is our attention span in the world has dropped, plummeted dramatically. And you know this, Trey, if, if, if the zipper on your uh, vest breaks, uh, for those of you who are listening on podcast, I'm looking at Trey's wearing a black puffer vest, which is, he looks extremely cool right now. If that zipper broke, <laughs> one of the things you might do is Google, how do I fix the zipper on my jacket, right? Yeah. And if there was a video that said, uh, Google always puts up three videos. The first video tray was a minute 30. The next video was four minutes and 20 seconds. And the video after that was 11 minutes. Which video do you click on first? The shorter one. The shorter one. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This is repurposing on purpose. So create answers to those questions that are shorter. Now, again, a lot of church leaders will go, well, I don't have time to do that because I've got to prepare a message and I've got to do all of these other things. Mm -hmm. yeah. First of all, this is why I say maybe the most innovative thing you can do is to stop streaming your services and pull the resources from that to create this midweek content that is two minutes long. Second thing I would say is my guess is for the questions that people are asking around prayer, around hope, around parenting, around finances, around what is the meaning of life, you've probably already preached messages around this because all pastors are creating these great evergreen content continually. You've probably already created that content. You've probably already preached that message. And if you recorded it, you don't have to re-record it. Just edit that bit out and post that with a clear, how do you pray? as the title to the video and the title to the file that you upload to YouTube. And then YouTube is going to start to evangelize for you. When somebody types in that question, it's going to throw your video up as the answer to that question. That's when we really start to make a difference. That's when digital really starts to have an impact. But make sure on that video, make sure that you include a link to the full length message that you pulled that out of or a message series that you've done on the same topic. And make sure that you also include your church's physical location. Because as I said, the shift for me philosophically from, from an online perspective is understanding that as an online pastor, it's not my job to necessarily reach the entire world. It's my job to reach the people who are in my local community and use online tools in order to do that. You know, Trey, at North Point, we used to, uh, North Point Live, we used to introduce the online service by saying, we stream these services to give you a window into our church, but also to create a doorway through which you can find community. And really, that's what it's all about. I think your online strategy and your online system should be focused on reaching people who live within a 30-minute drive of your building. When we shift it like that, everything has a lot more purpose behind it. Wow, that's, that's really, really strong. We, we get the question all the time, how is ministry going to look different moving forward? 
And I love that you, that you kind of touched on this, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to it one more time. You touched on uh, pastors saying, well, but I have to work on my sermon. I don't have time to do this. Mm. And, I, and I think that I just want to call attention to that person right now, because we're not saying that you have to shift every aspect of what you do, but maybe consider that you need to repurpose your time, repurpose your resources mm. and a lot more of it to how we can have more of a spread out strategy that reaches people in your community, rather than just yeah. saying, I'm going to preach my sermon and it's going to be 45 minutes or an hour, some of us or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to get into the debate on, you know, how long a sermon should be, but um, yeah. but yeah, repurposing that time and being willing and open, open-handed to say, exactly. how can I shift what I'm currently doing so that I make room for what you're saying, because I do think yes. that this is a big part of what ministry looks like moving forward. I completely agree. Yeah. And super, super clear. Um, there was a study done in 2020 that of like 50,000, I think it was 48,000 churches in the US uh, between January and I think the end of April 2020, right? That showed that of the huge number of church messages that were, were surveyed, the average length of a message in uh, churches was 37 minutes. Yet right now, the average length of a YouTube video is four minutes and 20 seconds. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying at all, stop doing 37 minute messages, do four minute and 20. No, what I'm saying is do that 37 minute message because in the room, that's really significant, really important. I'm not saying to shorten that. All I'm saying is once you've done that, take four minutes and 20 seconds out of that message and post that online as the first step for somebody to connect with the 37 minute message later because on. Because that's, that's nine different messages that you can now put out there that will reach different people in different areas. Exactly. With, from the same piece of content, this piece. is what it means to repurpose on purpose. And this is another strategy and system that I outline in the book. The, like there's a whole chapter called repurpose on purpose. And it talks about the ways that we can take what we're currently doing and just repurpose it to send it out as Instagram reels, TikTok videos, YouTube shorts, four YouTube videos from the one 37 minute message, a podcast, a midweek podcast, a course, like there's all these different things we can do, but we have to have a strategy behind why we're doing that in order to reach the people that we're trying to reach. We're already creating the content. And when the doors close on a Sunday tray and the lights go off on the building, there's no more people who can physically, physically watch that message, right? Yeah. But- right. The, the potential audience online is astronomical if we go through some simple steps to keyword optimize, to really contextualize that piece of content in multiple different ways to reach as many people as humanly possible. That's good stuff. Uh, I, 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 I know that there's a lot more behind everything that you're saying, um, but uh, I think that uh, the best way to do that is just for people to go and get your book. It's called Meta Church. Meta Church. It's out it's now. Yes, it's out now. It's available. Um, oh, it's available right now for uh, on Amazon, or you can yep. go to metachurchbook.com, metachurchbook.com. Yep, M-E-T-A-C-H-U-R-C-H-B-O-O-K.com. Yes. And then, of course, if our friends want to connect with you, for those who may not know where to find you, how can we find Aussie Dave Adamson? I'm Aussie Dave on everything. <laughs> A-U-S-S-I-E -S -S Dave uh, on every social media platform, Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, the works, TikTok, every, everywhere. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for, for sharing. Thank you for writing this book. I think it is a timely, timely piece of communication. Thanks, uh, and I'm excited to see how it continues to grow in the coming weeks and months as we all continue to learn how to do ministry better and to continue to reach people in our communities and around the world. So. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate what you're doing. Love you. See you soon. Cheers. Well, that was such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing all of your insight and wisdom. Uh, if you enjoyed that interview, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, just like our friend Eswan did. Eswan said this, this is so fun. I've enjoyed each episode so far and have been learning a lot. Also super entertaining. Well done, guys. Well, well done to you, Eswan. Thank you so much for leaving that review. I wanna encourage all of you to go and get Dave's book, Metachurch. It's out now. You can get it wherever you find your books. It's gonna help you develop a social strategy for your church. You can find all the information at metachurchbook.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night, and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic, and innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com.